Law Focus Podcast. This is Vow FM 88.1 and welcome to Law Focus, the show with the staunch focus on the law. My name is Basil Sharenda and I'm your law, I'm your, I'm your voice of law for the evening. I mean, so we have been practically um, inundated with, uh, with the likes of Julius Malema uh, promoting land grabs and saying to us that we should go and take land because this land belongs to us. Um, I mean, this is a prelude to the show that we had last week about Section 25 of the Constitution, where we're speaking about redistribution, land restitution, and land reform. So it seems as though the the CIC, the the Commander-in-Chief of the EFF, is connecting the failure thereof of land restitution, land land redistribution, and land reform to an approach that which he deems to be an approach that is just. Um, in a form of civil disobedience to disregard Section 25.1. And now, in the event that land is grabbed, what actually happens is that 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 particular property is owned by someone else and therefore they can go to court to get an interdict that which can evict, um, or rather an eviction order from court, that which can evict whoever who is infringing upon their right. And now, under Section 26.2, Three, it states that whenever an eviction has to occur, uh, one has to get a court order, and that is that eviction order, and therefore there are other matters that follow. And so, in Hermanas, um, along March, there was a protest that turned ugly, and so protesters banned vehicles and satellite uh, police station. Uh, some of the community members of Hermanas have had their property burned down, but now they're they're citing very strongly that they want their call for housing and for for settlement to be heard. Um, and that, that is particularly service delivery in general. So their land grab is actually hinged on the fact that they need their housing that which has, has been promised by government. So now that connects to, or rather, let me rather say, critics have argued that it connects to the condoning of the uh, the commander in chief of the EFF uh, in that regard. So later on we'll we'll be um, talking about that. But particularly this show for this evening will be talking about land grabs, the effect on section 26 uh, subsection two, and and how does how is that dealt with in the case of an eviction order? We'll be hearing from Siri Social Economic Rights Institute that will be telling us about all the cases that they've dealt with that that have been in connection with that particular clause in the constitution. And we'll also be talking to the director of uh, or the communication specialist of the Human Settlement Office, and he'll be telling us about the processes that we which are followed internally in order to secure that each and every person gets housing. So it is a fun-packed show. Um, but let me start the show as we usually do with the legal hotspots of the week. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, the top of, the stories of the week is Legal Hotspots. For Legal Hotspots for this week, we are actually looking at a very huge case of a land claim. Now, this is, I mean, look at how we're connecting these shows. Um, last week we were talking about Section 25 and the failures thereof and, and what are the inroads moving forward, land expropriation without compensation. This week we are looking at Section 26.2, eviction uh, of, of people on land or property that which is owned by another person. That is the pro- negative protection that which is protect, uh, provided by Section 25.1. And now in this legal hotspot, the, 
the biggest case that which I have come across um, in, in issues of land restitution um, concerns uh, three competing land claims for a large area of land. Uh, and we're looking at that story as our first story for the evening. And the second story for the evening, we'll be looking at uh, whether mining communities actually have right of consent when it comes to when it comes to whether land or rather communal land can can be can be uh, mined on. And the third story for this evening, we'll also be looking at um, many of the issues that which the Human Rights Commission have raised in human rights violation in South Africa, and actually the rates are high. Now, for the first story, the exciting, the exciting story, rather. <laughs> the, so there was a territory that which was under dispute, um, and it, it included land upon which a Fish River Sun Resort is situated. And this battle has been la- lasting for the past 20 years. So now, the legislation that which is complementary of, of Section 25.7 is, is called the Restitution of Land Rights Act. And according to it, before you can claim for restitution of land, uh, you have to satisfy three or four requirements. And that first requirement is that you must prove that you are a community with the rights in respect of that particular land. Now, in simple terms, it means that you must have lived on that land for so many years and you must have been dispossessed of that land. Uh, and that disposition mu- must have happened with either the Natives Land Act or the Black Administration Act in 1913. Um, and therefore, you didn't receive just an equitable compensation. So therefore, if you were... If you if if you were uh, law focus listener, if you were dispossessed of this land, and you did receive some form of compensation, I'm not sure if if that compensation would have been just and equitable. And I cannot think of a scenario of a scenario in, in in 1913 upon which it would have been just and equitable. But maybe according to the legal standards of the day, it would have de- been deemed as such. Or rather, the court today can actually look at whether in that particular day. Uh, with the legal standard of today, it was actually just inequitable. But the point is, if you have received compensation, then therefore you don't uh, you don't qualify under the, the Land Restitution Act. And then the final one uh, is whether is obviously that you must lodge the claim before 1998. And so in this particular case, uh, there are three communities that which lodged a claim. That is Mazazini, um, the Mazazini community, and Prudhoe and Thurfield. And so. This claim definitely, all, all of them lodged their claims before 1998. But the, the unfortunate thing that happened is that the Land Claims Court awarded the entire dispute territory only to Mazazini and not to the other two. But rather in September 2011, they actually applied for an interdict that declares the order invalid to the extent that it did not consider them. So therefore it was reviewed on grounds of um, of, of invalidity. So... Moving forward, the the court granted full ownership of the Jaji, Dabi, and the Msutu tribal areas as well as the Heaton farm to the Mazazini community. And therefore, the Prudhoe community were given full ownership of the rest of the claimed land, including the Fish River Sun farms, except for a few properties occupied by people who had purchased some of the land from the state in the early 1990s. Now, now that is purely because you have to look at other factors that which militate against it being dispossessed land uh, uh, in 19 in 1913 and so obviously the court didn't make any cost order because they think the matter was in the interest of justice to be heard but what the court actually focused on which is far more interesting for me and you is that they looked at how the commission on land actually was actually slow in its process and therefore it needed to speed up and in actual fact it was proven that it could actually take 700 years if all of the claims that which had been launched launched at the commission of, of land uh, um, were dealt with accordingly 
but it also continued to identify that there's a trend in courts to lower to lower the qualifying criteria for what constitutes a community in terms of the land reform laws and now the the complication with that particular criteria criteria following is that it actually limits the legal standard upon which it has to be followed and rather makes it stringent and by making it stringent meaning that many cases do not have uh, judicial redress uh, but the court found that although there was shared ancestry with the Mazizi tribe, the Prudho is an independent community in terms of the legislation and had been forcibly removed under the apartheid from land at which uh, they had valid rights in the 1980s. So now Prudho uh, have a strong claim, Mazizini have a strong claim, and now what was left to be seen in that particular court was whether... Um, Thurfield had a claim and that matter has been has not been dealt with and hopefully uh, they will have a, a, a separate um, a, they will have a separate uh, view uh, review in court now for our second story um, the North Houghton High Court uh, actually is going to hear a matter which interrogates whether the right of the community to say no to mining activities on the tri- traditional land is lawful um, and what which what appears to be the major issue in this particular case is what um is what is, is is rather that the international standard upon which it states that there must be free prior informed consent and that consent must be meaningful now in 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 the law, in the current South African law, it has not been stated that it needs to be prior, free, and informed and meaningful. It has only been stated that there needs to, there needs to be prior consultation with the community. That in itself does not entail whether the community has to be consulted uh, for their consent as to whether they need as to whether. Um, minerals have to, have to be ex, uh, exploited, and and that court uh, is looking at whether. Uh, that is feasible and the cited parties in that matter the minister of mineral resources the minister of rural development and land reform the transworld energy and mineral resources uh, it is a crucial landmark case uh, in the long struggle of opposition to mining by the community and it goes back all the way to 2008 uh, when this first uh, mining license was issued to these companies um, what is far more important uh, which is stated by by, by 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 the benchmarks foundation which is the one that that is bringing this application forward to the court is rather far more importantly that the community need to be respected uh, because this is their land and they also looked at the impact that which it has whenever they are not considered in these particular cases and one of the impacts that they've included is that local economies have dropped uh, people have lost access to their land their way of life has been reduced deteriorated or affected uh, and they've lost substance subsistence farming and then they also suffer health impacts uh, in, in in situations where these mines actually do not follow um, mining law and the NEMA and then rather the situations of forced removal. But rather what the benchmarks uh, council argued is that even though the, the removals were not violent or physically forceful, uh, they, 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 they resulted to what was, was equal to cohesion or duress. Um, and and rather and then benchmarks council goes on further to argue very strongly that consent must be meaningful i mean it's very interesting and i think that a lot of focus listener we are looking forward to seeing how that is going to turn out for our third and final story um there are a lot of human rights violations in south africa and it continues to be a major issue and the human rights commission has experienced a 13% increase in complaints in the year in, in the year uh, previous to this that is the financial year and it, and what they've stated is that out of 9,000 complaints, up to 8,000 um, 
having have, have, have reduced f- from the previous year. And the top five human rights complaints in the year under review were related to equality, labor practices, lack of access to health care, water, food and social security, and rights that relate to arrest and detention, which is a very huge one, I mean, in the country, particularly, especially in connection to equality uh, and also administrative action. And all of these have infringements the commission has, has, has dealt with uh, and, and they say that there's still more uh, to be dealt with. And I think that for me, uh, these, these are the legal spots for the week. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, the of, the stories of the week is Legal Hotspots. Welcome back to Law Focus, and this is the show with the staunch focus on the law. I mean, we're still talking about um, <laughs> land grabs this evening. And one of the fundamental um, issues that which lie at the core of this issue is how, firstly, I think it's very important to look at historical issues. I mean, African people have been dispossessed of their land. Um, we have land or property that which is owned by 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 by, by Western forces, and therefore, as a result, this unfortunately makes or creates for the politics of the of othering. Uh, that is to state that uh, well, there there is a racial barrier in the country, and wealth is particularly racial. And so, this in and of itself is what pushes uh, the, com- the commander in chief of of the EFF to go on to say that in actual fact that people must go and take land. Where they see land, they must just occupy it, regardless of who owns it, owns it, when and how and why. And I think that's the reason why he's pushing for land, of ex- land expropriation without compensation. Um, but it would be important to listen to, to this clip that he makes right now. We are going to occupy the unoccupied land because we need the land. For us to eat, we must have the land. For us to work, we must have the land. And don't write letters to the head office asking us to come and occupy the land. We will occupy where we come from. I come from Seshiu, Zunwan, Masagane. If there is an open land, we'll go and occupy there with my, my branch. You must go do the same in a branch where you come from. Malema can occupy all the pieces of land in South Africa alone. I cannot be everywhere. I'm not Holy Spirit. So you must be part of the occupation of land everywhere else in South Africa. And those who get into trouble with the law, the EFF must intervene. We are going to establish a solidarity fund where we are going to raise money to bail out those who get arrested from occupying the land in South Africa. We are already giving people a piece of land before we are inside. We are taking the land. If you don't have a piece of land, it means you are a coward. You are a scat. If you are a fighter, you still stay in a back room. You are a coward. Go and identify a piece of land anywhere where you like it or to hide that is your land. Yeah, I mean that was the, the chief commander in chief. Um 
I mean, the commander-in-chief of the EFF actually stating that, uh, or rather inciting unlawful action, uh, stating that people should actually grab land. And in actual fact, he even goes further by stating that uh, he's going to develop a fund uh, upon which he is going to fund litigation in the instance that um, when people violate the law and they are pro- probably arrested or or whatever. I mean, lit- litigation in, in that regard. I mean, there's there's a lot to say about what he just said right now. Um, that just when you see land, just go and occupy that land. Um, and we know that Section 25.1 actually protects land. But what is far more interesting is what uh, Zamandunga Kumalo, who is an attorney at the Socioeconomic Rights Institute, will be sharing with us uh, tonight in that regard. Uh, Ms. Zamandunga, welcome. Thank you very much. I mean... Um, Welcome to the show. I think what is far more important is to is to mention the phenomenal work that which the Social Economic Rights Institute uh, uh, is doing in regards uh, to, to to eviction cases that which um, at, at times uh, um, um, apply to to land grabs. Yes. I mean, what we are focusing on this evening is is land grabs, the consequences thereof and how to move forward from the violation of the law. I mean, can you please take us through what happens at the beginning? Like, what happens when people immediately grab land? Um, Thank you very much for this opportunity. Um, I mean, I think what's important is to first understand why people grab land before we understand the procedures and where other people are coming to or where other people are coming from. Mm. Let's understand that... um, a vast number of South Africans since 1996 have been promised houses. Houses, um, elections after elections, government has come to them and said that they will receive houses. And these are RDP houses, and they said that they'd be able in these houses to be provided with services and, and to be provided um, with electricity and so on. So I think it is important that whenever we discuss the question of uh, land grabs and the question of housing, that we must understand that where people are coming from, they're not just people who wake up, waking up in the morning like, okay, yeah, I'm going to go grab this land. These are people most of the time who've been promised land, um, who've been promised houses, who've been promised electricity mm. for a number of years and out of desperation usually and out of a sense of frustration mostly. Um, they then see a piece of land and they say, you know what, where we're staying, there is four of us in a, in a, in a particular structure, a two-by-two-meter structure. Okay, the two-by-two is a bit small, but you get what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, a very I understand. Small structure. Um, there's four of us. There is no element of privacy. I've got my children. There's a vacant land there. Let me go build my own um, home there and I'll be able to raise my family the same way that everybody else wants to in a dignified um in a dignified manner so i think before we even discuss anything we must understand that these are not just some random people they they're like you and me they want to raise their families in in a dignified manner so that's where usually that sense um that that feeling comes from yeah I mean, you're raising quite important uh, issues. I mean, you're saying that they should be treated with equal concern, they should be treated with dignity, with respect, and you're also drawing a link between land grabs themselves and the issue of housing in the country. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And and so and so in the event that this land grab occurs and and 
and you have these unlawful occupiers on this land, then what is the, what is the way forward from there? Um, okay, so the first, we must look at um, a number of um, acts. The first one being, obviously, the Constitution, which tells, which tells us that, um, uh, that somebody cannot be evicted from their home without a court order. Mm. And then two, we must look at the, at the Pi Act, and this is the this is the Act, this Pi Act is the one that gives us the guidelines that must be followed. So if I'm going to be instituting proceedings to evict somebody, I must, for instance, um, cite the, my local municipality because the obligation for alternative accommodation uh, uh, after um, after a number of case, uh, of case law. We know now that uh, the uh, alternative accommodation has to come from the municipality, but the municipality they must provide it. So you cannot just wake up in the morning and say, um, I'm just going to wake up and go and evict somebody. There's a number of procedures, including municipal bylaws, that every municipality has to follow when evicting people, even if it is somebody who has, let's say, woke up this morning and... um, and built a structure this morning and hasn't put in their furniture, uh, like all of, all of those different instances. So we have legislation that municipalities and, uh, and JMPD or EMPD, they know very well what those procedures are that they have to follow in order to evict somebody. Yeah. And, and you, you, you did mention alternative accommodation, and I understand that you are, you are mentioning it as a legal standard. Yes. What are the guidelines to providing alternative accommodation for, if any? I, th- I think one of the things that we always, when we're talking about um, alternative accommodation, we have to say the first thing and foremost is that when evicting somebody, and especially if it is, for instances in some of the cases that Seri does, you'll find that uh, a private owner is evicting people who are living in a particular building, let's say in the inner city in Johannesburg. There are 300 odd people living in, in, in that building. Where are they going to go? You can't throw them in the street. They've lived in those buildings. Some people have been living since the 1990s in some of the buildings that we've been living in. They've applied for RDPs. They've followed all of the required procedures in terms of um, what the city says one has to do in order to apply for housing. So if one, if you're going to be evicting people in, for example, these inner city, the inner city buildings, you have to be able as you... If you're a private owner, you have to cite the municipality, and the municipality has to then submit a report to the court that is going to say what is going to happen to this community, where are they going to stay, is the city going to be able to provide them with uh, a place to stay, and most importantly, this place is a dignified place for them to stay. And and so to stretch you a bit further, what what was the experience with, for, for instance, cases like Blue Moonlight, in that regard of of, of, of alternative accommodation? Um, I mean, one of the arguments that's usually raised by the city, and as you can imagine, uh, in Johannesburg, is that they do not, they just physically do not have a pl- uh, uh, places to send people. They do not have, um, I mean, let me put Johannesburg and then contrast it with uh, Cape Town. In Cape Town, you could have uh, a place like Wolverine, which is created by the city and where they usually house people for a a temporary accommodation. 
but usually here in Johannesburg, they'll tell you they they don't have, um, they do not have um, uh, homes or they do not have buildings which are readily available to house a large number of people. So the problem is that we then have in terms of litigation. So you you litigate, you say these people must not be evicted. And then, and then the city will then submit a report to the uh, to the court that says actually just don't have anywhere else to put them. So what the city has then done is that they've uh, they've created alternative um, uh, structures. So the uh, alternative um, uh, alternative places and where, where they can put um, where they can put people. So you've got, for example, if you look at the whole Zanda judgment, it looked at the fact that people were not necessarily put in a home, but they were put in a particular facility, and it is the rules of that facility that were challenged in the constitutional court. So the city is saying, okay, we're trying different ways in which we can try to house people in alternative accommodation, but readily available for us as the city, we don't, um, we don't have those places that are readily available where we can, at the split say, to a number of months. Oh, hello. Oh, I think we have lost uh, Ms. Amantungwa uh, Kumalo, and then she was sharing some quite important knowledge with regards to Section 26.2 and, and how it operates with alternative accommodation. And she goes on further to show that, in actual fact, in the aftermath, it, it, it does become a problem. But it's interesting how she opens up in the prelude there and she explains to us how actually people who grab land are as human as we are. And even though maybe implicit in her tone, she may sound like uh, she's not taking a position as to whether... Um, she's condoning it or condemning it, but rather the the position that she she's positing is that these are families and therefore they also need shelter, they also need homes, they also need land where they can build homes and then raise their children. And then after that prelude, she gets into how first the law is sourced from Section 26.2 and in Section 26.2 and Section 26.3, uh, which states that whenever you have to evict somebody from property that which is owned by someone else, um, you need to first get uh, a court eviction. But I think that to add on to the data judgment, she's back with us, Ms. Zama. Yes. Yeah, I think, I mean, to add on um, what you were saying about the data judgment before you were in- interrupted by technical issues. I'm sorry, I didn't catch the question. Oh, yeah, I'm saying you were still speaking about the data judgment. Oh, no, okay, sorry. I was, what, was, what I was saying was what the data judgment just shows, um, shows two things, is that um, the city does not ne- necessarily readily have um, places that are available for people to go, and so they've created alternative um, places through the assistance of MEAs and other systems where they can take people um, and they can stay there. And that's where we have that accommodation uh, which uh, brought us the data judgment. And uh, we were challenged how those, uh, how those, um, uh, how that, the rules of that house yeah. and how, yeah, yes. And, and and I think I think to just to add on quickly to that the, the challenge with that with that home is that it had stringent rules that which um, violated other rights in the process and I think that that judgment went on to continue to say in actual fact the aftermath itself should not violate other constitutional rights. Definitely, I think sometimes when people think of people who are um, 
who are poor, they don't think that people who are poor are should have the same rights that they do. Example, the right to family life, the right for a husband and a wife to live together with their children. And that is what, in essence, I think the, que- the question that is raised by Jada is that if we in our homes, and we're saying my home in uh, wherever, Samson, and somebody else's home are not treated the same, why, if somebody else considers that their home, why can they not have the same rights and protections as somebody in Midrand and somewhere else is afforded in terms of the Constitution? So the right for children to see their parents, the right to not be monitored, the right to freedom of movement, to go about your business. I mean, if you have to, if you are unemployed and we're living in that home, you have to literally stay out of the house um, for majority of the day, returning only at 5 p.m., um, so if I was living in, in any of maybe the cities, um, in a, uh, the city's buildings or if I was renting by myself, I would, I would be allowed to stay in my home for the entire day. So those are just some of the questions I think people need to challenge themselves when they think of the rights of people who are poor. Why can they not be afforded the same rights as you and I? And, and, and I mean, to wrap up, but to also humor the, the absurdity in it, that in actual fact, counsel for the city actually argued in court that in, in providing them with this alternative accommodation, there's certain rights that actually they waved away, and that is the right to be with their wives, the right to be with their, their children. And that was, that was uncomfortable for me to read. It was, it was, I mean, this, you raised precisely the point that I'm raising. I mm. mean, um, somebody as well as once said, well, if they're looking for the right, if they're looking for housing, they must prioritize that right. But you and I, we don't have to have those considerations when we are looking for um, um, for accommodation. But not only that, when somebody else gets an RDP house, or when somebody else is placed by the city in other, in in, in let's say a, a building that's owned by the city and not this particular one as it was in Gaza. Mm-hmm. So if you have. If you are lucky enough to be placed, let's say, at Linatech's building, which is a temporary accommodation owned by the city, at least there you are able to exercise that right. But if you just so happen to be placed in uh, in an NEAS system, you don't have that right. And, I mean, we can't differentiate between people in that manner. The Constitution doesn't say that. It says that all of these rights are inherent to all of us. So once we say that people who are poor or people who are not driving a Mercedes-Benz, all of those things, they have to limit their rights. That's not what the Constitution says, and it's definitely going against all of the judgments that we've received uh, regarding the right to housing to date. I mean, uh, Ms. Zamantung Kumala, I would love to go further, but unfortunately I have to leave it there. Thank you for your contribution this evening. Thank you very much. You're still listening to Law Focus. Bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. Welcome back to Law Focus, the show where we bring you legal arguments straight to your ear. And that was Ms. Zamantungwa Kumalo actually um, uh, giving us legal rights straight on a silver platter. They're speaking about the, the prevention of illegal eviction. But what was far more important in her argument was actually that there was a link between land, land grabs and 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 the and the seeking of housing in the country, uh, or rather the lack thereof. And 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 within the stipulations of her argument, she actually contemplated that that. Whoever who's grabbing land out there purely and simply wants a home, right? And and I mean, I, I could say further, but it's it's as simple as that. They need a home. Yes, land grabbing 
is actually unlawful. It's against the law. But if there's a link with housing, maybe we need to speak to experts on that. Um, and I think our next interview is going to be with the uh, human settlement communication specialist, Masatkolani uh, Kundu. After after the break, we're going to uh, speak to him about information. Welcome back, and this is your guardian of the law, Basil Shirinda. And on the line, we have Mr. Tolani Kundu, who is the Kundu, who is the communication specialist um, of the human settlement or the Department of Human Settlement. Um, Mr. Kundu, welcome to the show. Uh, good evening, Basil, and to the listeners. I mean, um, first of all, we are grateful to have you on the show, and and I and we are we are having a very interesting uh, discussion debate this evening um not just about the law but rather about the needs of society um or rather the socioeconomic needs of our society and thankfully enough you happen to be in the sector that which matters a lot to us and that is the housing sector um so so we are speaking land grabs and i understand that is a topic that is unrelated to you but one of the things that um have popped up from the mouths of land grabbers is that they need housing and i think that the the the, the, the commander-in-chief of the eff also states the same thing we were speaking to an attorney from the socio-economic rights institute and she also states the same issue that there is a lack of housing or people need housing and i understand that maybe there are procedural issues that we are not aware of can you please um highlight that to us can you please explain to us how the human settlement uh, goes about these issues of housing in the country Look, uh, I think, uh, yeah, no, thanks for the opportunity once again. And um, look, it, it, it is correct that um, uh, the country has a, a housing challenge. Yes. But within that, how, within that, you know, one needs to appreciate that uh, since 1994, you know, we have managed as the Department of Human Settlements to deliver in excess of 4.6 million houses. You know, and these are houses given to people who ordinarily never had access to a house before. Mm. And, um, you know, we have uh, upgraded uh, so many informal settlements. We are providing uh, social housing, you know, to a number of people who earn between uh, 3,500 and 15,000 rand a month in the inner cities, trying to deal with the problems of uh, of uh, of apartheid special planning, trying to make sure that people stay next to 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 to, to the places where they work, and that is heavily subsidised by government, you know, through grant funding that the Department of uh, Human Settlements gives and provides to the Social Housing Regulatory Authority. And uh, we currently seized, you know, with the issue of student accommodation, mm. working together with the Department of Higher Education, working together with the Social Housing Regulatory Authority to try and see, I mean, what it is that uh, as a department we can do to make sure that uh, we deal with this issue of student accommodation, which is, uh, which, which is, which is a pressing matter all, I mean, across, across the country. So, so when you say that uh, we have, uh, I mean, a, a social uh, or rather a housing challenge, yes, it is correct. But you need to understand that within that context, that uh, yes, I mean, people are, are in need of housing, 
But then again, people uh, have uh, been applying for houses. And if you look at the kind of people who would go out in these areas where uh, there are land grabs, I mean, it's young people. And uh, I mean, people who ordinarily are supposed to get school, it's people who are supposed to be, I mean, to be, to get work. And for some reason or another, they are not there. And 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 and, and in some instances, there is a lot of mischief behind these land grabs. I mean, that one is, is clear, you know. And uh, people have uh, taken these uh, pronouncements that are happening in, in Parliament as a license to go and grab any other available land that they think uh, they can settle in. And that's not how things are supposed to be done. You know, we're battling in the inner cities, for example, <coughs> to get access to land. You know, land is either in private hands, land is either owned by, uh, I mean, people who are not willing to give it to the state. And as a result, you know, that is in that context where, for example, as a department, we're seeing the pronouncements that were made in Parliament and the, and, and the amendments that are being proposed to the Constitution. We see it in that light that is going to give the Department of Human Settlements at least an opportunity where we can look at land for public goods and that will be housing. So, 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 I mean, look, there's a lot that the department are doing to address the issue of housing. And, uh, yes, we also acknowledge that there might be instances where people see a need to go or, or think it's correct to go and grab land that do, that do not belong to them. I mean, committing an illegal act. I mean, that is the government uh, as a whole. It's not something that we, I mean, we, 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 can, we can condone. People need to, to learn to wait. And uh, wise things are being, uh, are being uh, addressed and to see how best we can be met as partners in that process. I mean, yeah, Mr. Mr. Kolani, I think that we need to, we need to, we need to really press on, on the issue of who is grabbing land um because for example i mean siri has been dealing with a couple of issues and one of them is is waterworks and in waterworks they've they've proven that actually 90 percent of them are adults who are over 45 who have more than three kids and who are unemployed um and they're grabbing land because they come from confined space and i think i'm quoting mizamantungwa kumal who's saying that uh, they live in in four-roomed houses where they're they're congested and therefore, as a result, that's why they have to, they, they see the need to go and get land or to go and it get a, make it rise. <laughs> and, and, and definitely, I do agree with you. And I think, I think we are, we are treading along the lines of ethics and law. I understand that, but humor me. So whilst we've identified that, that these are adults who are doing this, um, these are adults who are doing this and Clearly, there isn't, and, and more, all of them, they cite the fact that I've applied for RDP for the past 20 years and nothing has been done about it. And, and okay, there's an excess of 20 million people who have benefited through, I mean, when I say people, I mean the households, hmm. uh, who have benefited through the government program. There's four point, over 4.6 million houses that have been provided since 1994. I mean, the reality here is that uh, I mean, the fiscals can only provide so much. Hmm. And I hear that, no. but, but but let me press further on, on the issue of, for example, ever as you said, the department has noted that uh, these land grabs are happening, and ever since they started, what has the department done 
as a as 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 a, as a program or as a workshop of some sort to reach out to these people to hear them out to 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 attach a, a human face to this issue oh, look, I mean, <clears throat> one we are not a department that is responsible for dealing with land grabs ours is to make sure that uh, south africans are housed yes and as i'm saying to you as i'm saying to you mm. over uh, around 20 million people have benefited through the government uh, housing program in this mm. country. They are there, you see them everywhere where you go. We are, I've just told you on my opening remarks, in my opening remarks, yes. that we are providing houses to young professionals, young people who ordinarily would not be qualifying to access those, the so-called free RPP housing. Wait, wait, let, let me understand. Let me understand you, Mr. Mr. Colani. You are providing houses to young professionals. I'm saying to you, we oh. are providing accommodation where young professionals can go and rent through our social housing program. Oh, so These so they are, are paying people, for that? Yes, no, they are paying. Oh, okay. These are people who who earn between three thousand. Remember, you know, your your your, your normal RTP, so-called RTP house. Only for people who earn less than three thousand five hundred francs a month. And those are the people that I'm focused on, yeah. honestly, in this conversation. Because I mean, as, as I've said to you, the Socioeconomic Rights Institute deals with those kind of people. Lawyers for Human Rights deals with those kind of people. I'm concerned with those who are actually unemployed, and they're saying that we live in congested houses. We live and, in con- and those and, and and those are the people who we have managed to provide for over four point six million houses for since nineteen ninety four. And what I'm saying here is that, they, I mean, in all honesty, mm. we would love to address the housing challenges in this country once and for all. But it's impossible. Mm. We're not going to be able to. We are not going to be able to do that because if we were to do that, we will need in excess of over 300 billion in one financial year to address the housing backlog in this country. So this thing is incremental. You know, since '94, we count. We tell you that 4.6 million houses have been provided to the poor. And so since we've identified... And, 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 and as, as we go along, look, I understand the frustrations that people are having, <laughs> having applied for houses five, ten years ago. There is a problem. Even internally, we acknowledge that. Okay. You know, when you go to municipalities and you go and register uh, ten years down the line, you still do not have a house, and yet someone who arrived uh, or who registered last week manages to get a house. I mean, those are the issues. And it's we not understand fair. That those things, and it's not fair. Mm. It can't be fair. You know, but, 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 but one of the things that we like to encourage our people to do is to make sure you go to your ward committee meetings. You know, people need to be engaged. People need to be active. In but, but people have so become apolitical. People. people have become apolitical no, because people, they've people lost hope. To, people, people, no, they can't lose hope. You know, otherwise, <laughs> if they are going to disengage exactly what we're talking about, people who only arrive or only uh, apply for houses uh, 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 in the last year, managed to get those houses. And yet, they have been there since 1996, and they are not able to get houses. Because what did they decide to do? They decided to disengage. We cannot afford, as a country, to disengage. You know, because... We have to be to be vigilant. I mean, at all times, to make sure that this government is held accountable, to make sure that these municipalities are 
to account. And the only way to do that is to make sure that people are provided information and they are given an opportunity to question and make sure that their interests are looked after. So, I mean, to wrap, to wrap up, what, what we are taking away from you is that, one, you condemn land grabs. Is, is that a yes? Yes, we do. And then the second thing is that we need to understand that the human settlement is doing everything in its power to provide housing. That's the second thing. Correct. And then the third thing is that, unfortunately, the fiscus does not have 300 billion to solve these problems. No, it doesn't. Okay. I mean, uh, Mr. Colin Kuhn, you, you actually have said a mouthful and I would love to take it further, but unfortunately, my time ends here. Thank you for your contribution this evening. Thank you, Deva. Still listening to Law Focus. Bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. Welcome back. And we are thankful to uh, the communication specialist, Mr. Kolani Kundu, from the Department of Human Settlement. You've heard it yourself. He does not condone um, uh, land grabs. And, and someone else who doesn't condone, condone land grabs is our future uh, president, uh, uh, Cyril Ramaphosa. Uh, please hear what he has to say. Nobody has any right to invade land, to violate other people's rights. We should be a country where if you have concerns or complaints, you should raise them formally and they should be heeded and addressed. And our law enforcement agencies must immediately kick in because if we do that, then we are allowing lawlessness. Welcome back. Uh, I mean... Yes, I've said welcome back. In actual fact, I'm supposed to be saying my farewells. Uh, and I'm saying welcome back because it was a f- packed show. It was quite interesting. It was interesting from both ends. It was interesting from a social justice end and also from a legal perspective. I mean, this is what Law Focus brings you every week, uh, Moretti, my listener. And if anything, when it boils down to it, I may say so much, they may say so much, but when it boils down to it, you are the listener, you are the citizen of the society, and you are the one who is in charge of these views. Far more importantly, yes, we are grabbing land. We are unlawfully occupying land, and it is against the law. And unfortunately, in that process, it does come with a lot of unlawful activity because we do not control who comes there and who doesn't. And in our interesting story, when we started this show, we spoke about what happened in Hermanas. And one of the things that have been identified by activists in that particular case is that in actual fact, we are not hoping for violence in our protest. What we want is service delivery. What we want is housing. And that is said by an activist who who organized that protest. And that clearly shows that there was no intentionality of causing any violence, any damage to property, or any grievous, uh, sorry, any malicious uh, 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 damage to property. And so that clearly shows, shows that without proper planning, we are, we are at large to break the law. But rather, there is also a movement that can say that at this particular point, we are at a point of civil disobedience. What the government will do about that still beats me at this point. But, I mean, that's all we have for the, uh, for this week here on Law Focus. Uh, this is the show where we try our best to bring you nothing less but social justice on these airwaves. Please join us next week, same time at 7 p.m. Find us on social media. Our podcast will be up on, on vets.journalism.co.za uh, from our technical producer, uh, Mr. Kutwano Gwenshirame, our producer, Ms. Bulali Diakobu, and from me, Bezo Shirinda, it's law and it's serious. Good evening.
Law Focus. Point, point of information. Law Focus on Balfang 88.1. Point of information. Law Focus Podcast.